So those of you who've been around, um, and it's interesting, I'm meeting people, you know, even for the first time who've joined us during the pandemic. Uh, I had a Zoom call this last week with somebody that I had never met in person, and we got to know each other. So, you know, it's, it's sort of strange to try to get our arms around what's happening in our community and, and who is here and who's where and who's new and all of that. So, um, you know, just be praying for that in this, in this next season. But I remind you, those of you who've been here, that when we first started in this building, which was just before the pandemic, we had just arrived and we were trying to kind of reach out to the community, um, but we were also trying to get the building ready. There was a lot that needed to be done for us to be here worshiping. Uh, and, and so we were in the middle of that process when the pandemic hit, and we never really got to do the work of reaching out to the community around us. We sort of missed that. It's like we just showed up in this building um, unannounced, and we didn't really get to invite our neighbors and, and welcome them. Uh, now, when we first started the church 16 years ago, we were meeting in Albany uh, at Ocean View School. And before we actually began worship, we went and knocked on every single door in Albany. Now, Albany's pretty small. Uh, it's one square mile, but it is 18,000 people. And we were able to knock on every door. We had a team that just went out day after day, week after week, until we were able to put a flyer on every day. We got some, got some doors slammed in our faces, right? But we also had some really good conversations with people. And it was a wonderful way uh, to express the love of Christ in that season. And so my prayer over this next time is that we'll be able to do that as a community in this place as well and for the, for the people around us here. And also, you know, isn't it true that, well, I don't know what's true right now about how we're emerging from the pandemic, right? It's, it's actually confusing is what it is. Um, but there are shreds of this emergence happening. Schools are going to be starting. You might be going back to the workplace. Uh, some, you're here, those of you who are here worshiping. We're having more opportunities to be in the presence of one another. And the question that sort of lingers over that is, who will we be in the dynamic of this moment in time when we have opportunity to be in relationship with more people? Who, who will we be? Now, our mission as a church is to make and and mature disciples among all people. That's, that's what we look to. That's what we talk about. And by the way, I don't know if you noticed um, the group that was sent away this morning. When you look at that beautiful picture of all those different people, I mean, it's, you got to go a long ways to find a, a, a youth ministry more diverse than that youth ministry that we sent off today. It was a beautiful picture of the heavenly vision captured right there in the youth ministry. Um, and, and, and we should celebrate that and be thankful for what God is doing in that sense. But what does it mean for us to, to, to be like Christ in this moment when people are, are emerging from the pandemic or not, um, but there are more opportunities for us to come together? What's it look like for us to be like Christ? And this is really what First Peter is about. First Peter is helping us to take on board those attributes that enable us to live into our mission. And so there are six that we're pulling out of this book. Be hopeful was the first one. Be holy. Be subject. That's, excuse me, uh, be together. That's today. Be subject is next week. That'll be an interesting one. Be fearless and be steadfast. 
Now, you may look at that list and you feel like, oh my goodness, I can't make myself to be all those things. And, and that's true. You can't. And this is the beautiful thing about the way God works with us, the way God loves us, is that he, he brings about the changes in us by his spirit through his word that we long for. And that becomes a blessing to us. And then it goes out from us to become a blessing to other to others. So I want to be really clear with you about what kind of the strategy or the thought is around this sequence as we're in August and then we're going to be hitting the fall. Um, what I'm hoping is for us to spend this time in First Peter reflecting on what are those attributes that help make us, uh, enable us, empower us to live on mission, Right? What are those attributes? And as God does a work in us to remind us, to cause us to grow in those, to make us attached to our living hope, to help us to to live together, hopefully today. Um, We saw last week how the beauty of holiness and the impact that that can have on the people around us. So as God does this work in us, then I'm hoping in the fall, he will move us into a kind of an outreach mode where where we're able to reach out to the community around us. So just to put that in really concrete terms, I'm hoping we're going to be able to walk the community a little bit in in the fall and invite people around us to worship. Um, We have our new associate pastor coming, Paul Nunez, and um, he doesn't know this yet, but one of the assignments that he's going to have when he comes is to help us in this outreach element. So Paul, if you're watching, he's, he's doing a wedding this weekend down Southern California. So um, that's your first assignment, um, is to help us to, to, to think through how we're, how we're reaching out to the community around us, to invite them to be a part of what God is doing in us and what God wants to do in us in this next season. Now, I've been thinking about what would be um, a good outreach series coming in the fall. And I want to just invite your input on this because this is a team effort. We as a church are going to look outward and we're going to be um, inviting others, Lord willing, to join us in worship, um, to join us online. Um, And it may not be people from this community. It may be your friends or your relatives, your associates from work, your neighbors, what kinds of topics are people really grappling with right now? Now, we've been hitting a lot of those topics throughout the last year. Um, but I would be interested to hear from you if you have insight. If the Holy Spirit is prompting you with a particular topic that you think would not only minister to our community, but would minister to the people around us. I was at a, a conference, which I'll, I'll mention more later, but um, just looking at the ways this last week in Wheaton, um, at Wheaton College and looking at the ways that trauma and stress impact people. And I came out of that thinking that maybe one of the best things that we could do over this, this fall is really dig into what are the resources that God has given us to deal with the trauma and the stress that we've experienced over this last year. And I think what the research is showing is that we, we haven't really even fully begun to unpack the extent of the stress and the struggle that people have been carrying and the impact that it's had on their lives. So what kind of resources do we have in the Lord to meet those challenges? Wouldn't that be a great blessing to us here, but then also to be able to invite others? So that's, that's one idea, streams of living water, something like that. But I want to hear from you. I want to hear what you think and what the people around you are needing and how um, we can be a blessing to the world around us in this coming fall.
But let's get into today. This is part of our preparation. This is part of our own growth. This is part of our development as a church. This is part of, you know, all the things of, of, of what God wants to do in and, and through us. Uh, one of the beautiful things that, that, that God is doing through the gospel is drawing us together. And like these other blessings, uh, it first becomes a ble- blessing to us, and then it's a blessing to others as we enfold others into Christian community. I, you know, we're, we started our home group the week before the pandemic. And um, I just want to say that that home group, and some of you are here, has been such a blessing and a treat to see the way togetherness and community has been so impactful in my own life over this last season. And it just reminds me the power of community. And and if I didn't have that, I'd be missing out on this togetherness that is what God has for us. Now, I know that in so many ways we don't have togetherness right now because um, we can't physically be together in the ways that we're used to being together. Um, And then on top of that, it's not just the physical piece. There's been like this cultural splintering that's been taking place, which causes uh, greater separation as well. In fact, when we were back, I was back in Wheaton, like I said, and we were doing just kind of this meeting about the impacts of trauma and stress on people and pastors. Um, and we, we heard from a number of Christian psychologists and the research that they've been doing um, and very lots of different interesting things. One of, one of the ones that stuck out to me was that what happens to people when they are in ongoing high levels of stress is that they try to find shelter in belief systems that tend to or that tend to be more rigid black and white and more authoritarian it's as if people say you know what um, I can't handle all the chaos in my life and so I'm looking for something stable and then once we, we, and it happens, you know, whether you culturally lean left or you culturally lean right, people go to, to more rigid versions of their belief system to try to find solace and comfort amidst the chaos and the uncertainty. And then they will go to social media and media to try and reinforce those beliefs because every time they do, they feel a little bit more sense of control. Now, does that not explain what we've been seeing in so much of our world around us during this season, the way that people are, are, are separating from one another and those fractures are happening in our, in our world, in our society, and then they're, they're also happening in our churches. And they're seeing that, the studies are seeing that all throughout, that there's just a, just a, a major stress and trauma um, and they were, this was about pastors trying to deal with that. They were saying, you know, they're expecting all kinds of pastors to leave the ministry as, as this continues to go forward because the level of stuff, they, they're seeing that pastors are lightning rods for this kind of fracturing and conflict. So um, the result, you know, is that we, we, we find it harder to be together. We find it harder to be together in this season. And then we come to this, this wonderful word, word that Marilyn uh, read for us where it says, uh, this is just the, the, the countersign to everything I just said. The word of God, God is greater than what's happening in our world. And his promises and his words are greater and his, his designs for us are greater and his power is greater. So we don't, have to be, we don't have to look at all that's going on and just hang our heads and say, oh no, you know, it's all over. We don't have to do that because of these powerful words. And, and Marilyn already read it, so I'm just going to read the one key phrase that I'm honing in on today. You yourselves, 
speaking to the church like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's our hope. That's the work that God's doing in us over this next season, and we're going to explore it in the moments we have today under three headings. Being together is our calling, it's our challenge, and it's our honor. Being together is our calling, our challenge, and our honor. And we'll, we'll be looking at that whole context that Marilyn read for us uh, earlier on in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 10. So let's look at the first part. Being together is our calling. Buildings typically testify to something, right? They say something. When you, when you look around the city and you see one building after another, they stand for something. In some ways, they communicate something. Now, I want you to imagine living in the first century, and all you ever really see is sort of like a one-story house that might have a little bit of a, a roof on top. Okay, that's all you ever really see. And then you make your way to Jerusalem one day, and you see this. You see this incredible mount, this temple mount that uh, is awesome and multi-storied high, and you've never seen anything like it. People would come from all around the world to see the temple in Jerusalem because it was so awesome. Maybe you've had an experience like this. And then you go into the complex, and you get to actually see the temple, and there's, a, there's an image of what it, what it would have looked like. Um, and, and just the awesome height of it and the beauty um, of what you saw. And, and maybe, like I say, you've had an experience like this when you have traveled around the country, around the world, and you've encountered a building that just caused you to stop and say, wow, this is amazing. Um, I remember um, when I first saw the Empire State Building, I felt that way. We went up on top of it. I felt this sense of awe. This is incredible. Never seen something like this before. And then, um, you know, uh, my favorite building in the entire, well, actually, when I went to Strasbourg, France, there's an incredible cathedral there that the way it's situated in the town, you walk around the corner and you just see this massive edifice pointing up to the heavens. And, and everybody, it's funny to watch because they come around this corner at such narrow quarters. And then you look and you see this, ma- it doesn't seem to fit at all. And everybody, you could just see everybody, they come around the corner and they look and they just stop in a sense of awe. And then um, my favorite building in the world is the Sagrada Familia in Barcelona, right? This cathedral, uh, modern cathedral that just tells the whole story of the Bible within the edifice. It's glorious. It's amazing. We have this sense of awe when we see a building like this. And that's what people would have experienced with the temple. They, They held it in this kind of high regard. It was incredible. But in all these cases, with all the buildings that I've just mentioned, whether it be the temple or modern ones that we like, they're awesome, but they're all dead. They're all dead. None of them are living. And what Peter is saying here is that the building he's talking about right now is living. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Now, that spiritual house, you yourselves are being built up like a spiritual house. This building is living. The stones out of which it is made are living. And those, because those stones are you and they're me. That's what he's saying. 
we always say in the membership class, um, and by the way, we're going to have a, hopefully a membership class uh, upcoming soon. Um, we missed a lot of that during the pandemic, um, but we, we need to, we've got lots of new people that we want to enfold and help, to, help them to understand. So if you're new and you're visiting, just be looking for that. Um, sometime in the fall here, we're going to have a membership class. And one of the things I always talk about in the membership class is uh, how in Albany, this is where our church started, in Albany there's a cross on top of the Albany Hill. And somebody deeded the land to the city because they wanted there to be a representation of, you know, Christ there in Albany. And that's great. And we can debate what we think about crosses on hills and et cetera, et cetera. I'm not getting into that. But somebody wanted there to be representation. And so there's that cross. But the cross, you know, is, is not living. How much more beautiful and wonderful is it when you start a church in a new community and now there is a living representation, right? How much more powerful is it for there to be living stones representing Christ in this place, having relationship, speaking, living? This is what the spiritual house is like that Peter is teaching us about this morning. And think about the potential of a living house. It's able to be present all over the world in any circumstance, in any situation, because the stones are living. They're people who are present. And you see this movement through the story of the Bible, starting with the temple. The temple was the presence of God. Right? First the tabernacle and then the temple. The temple is the presence of God. But it's, it's static in one place. And then when Jesus comes on the scene, the temple you know, is going to be destroyed soon. But when Jesus comes on the scene, he is Emmanuel, God with us. And so God's presence is in the person of Jesus Christ. And then when, when Jesus dies on the cross and atones for sin and is carried up into heaven then he pours out his spirit on his disciples. And so now God is present by his spirit. And what Peter is saying is that, that the spirit is present in the church, the temple of God, to empower the presence of God in the world. And it's an incredible strategy. It's such a wonderful strategy, so much better than any other strategy that we could think of than to just having an edifice because because human beings can go wherever and be present and active and living in the moment wherever they're needed, wherever they're required. So you don't have to walk to Jerusalem to be in the temple, to be in the presence of God. You don't have to walk all the way to Jerusalem. That's how it used to be, to be in the presence of God. The temple moves about. It, it goes around. It, it hangs out at the water cooler. It's your workplace. We heard last week with Lauren's testimony, it's there on TikTok, you know, representing Christ. You know, the, the living stones, they can go anywhere where they're required, where there's need. And, you know, this is what our world desperately needs right now and has always needed, which is the presence of God. Our world desperately needs the presence of God. And the remarkable truth is that we as Christ's ambassadors are the living stones that, that reflect that presence into a hurting and broken world. 
Now, I know that the church is not what it should be. I get that. Somebody met with me this past week and told me six areas where this church is not what it ought to be. Right? I get it. I pretty much agreed with all of them. Right? But what do we do when the church is not what it should be? Um, do we start to look for a, a, a different plan? You know, all around us, the, the, uh, there are attempts to build houses, to come up with solutions to the problems of the world that have no connection to the actual architect, God, right? All around us, people are building houses that are not connected to the architect. By that, I mean they're trying to come up with solutions to the problems of the world that are not connected to the architect. And the question when we're frustrated with the church, the present state of the church, whether it be this one or the church in our our society, um, the question is, you know, the temptation is, will we, will we imitate those solutions? And, and this applies to all different kinds of questions that people are asking right now throughout our culture, all kinds of issues that we're grappling with, you know. How do we, how do we build a house, you know, that will solve the problems of our world? And the temptation when the church isn't looking like how we would want it to look is to go to those solutions that are disconnected from the architect. But when you try to, when you try to build without an architect, I don't know if you've, you've tried to do this, um, you get solutions like, I don't know if you've been to the Winchester, the Winchester uh, mansion down in San Jose, right? Where, where you've got stairways that just run into ceilings, right? It looks good at the beginning as you start to make it, but it doesn't go anywhere, and that's what we're finding over and over again when we try to solve problems apart from God, apart from the architect. When you see that the church is not what it should be, the right response is not to toss out the plan and look for something else, this being the plan. The right response is not to toss out the plan and look for something else. The right response is to go back and read the architect's plan more carefully. That's what you do, right? When we're not what we should be. And the more we dig into the architect's plan, the more we'll live into our calling, which is to be the temple, the presence of God in the world. All right. But being the church, being the temple is hard and it requires spiritual growth on our part. Our passage starts out with these words. 1 Peter 2, 1. So put away all malice and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Notice that all the, the sins that Peter mentions here are relational. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. They're all relational. Malice is harboring ill will towards another. Now, let me just ask you, are we struggling with malice in our culture today? Right? When we think about the, the as people are more polarized, then the gap between us becomes greater, and we have a harder time thinking charitably about the person who's on the other side. 
That happens in our society, happens in our church too. And Peter's saying, put away malice. Right? If there's somebody who thinks differently than you, and you find it very hard to love that person, then that's the point he's speaking into. Now, I'm going to tell you in a minute, like we can't oftentimes fix that in our own strength. We need God. I get that. I need God to fix that. We'll get to that in a second. So malice is harboring ill will towards another. Um, deceit is saying or doing something untrue in order to get what you want. We've got all kinds of complex problems right now. There are all kinds of analyses that take place. And we love to attach ourselves to the analysis that reinforces what we want to be true. And that's a form of deceit. And we need to be careful of that. We need to be truth seekers. People who are careful about assumptions. Right? When there's gaps in our understanding or information we don't know. We need to be careful about our assumptions. Hypocrisy is doing something opposite to what you say or believe. Like I said, I've probably had more criticism in the past 18 months and even reaching back maybe to 2016 than I can ever remember in my 22 years as a pastor. Just way more. And, and when I was in Wheaton, what, what they were saying is that actually pastors have become lightning rods for people's frustration. They become lightning rods for people's frustration. And oftentimes, I'm sitting there listening, and I'm thinking to myself, um, honestly, well, what are you doing about it? Right? Well, what are you doing about it? And we sang a song about this, or, you know, the scripture, actually, that was read earlier. We just need to be careful. We need to be careful you know, that as we, in our anger and our frustration, and we want to put it on somebody, we want to lash out, we need to be careful. We just need to think carefully and be humble about who we are and where we are in the process. Envy is wanting what someone else has. Uh, people say it's the most common, but the hardest to admit. And then slander is speaking ill of another with intent of harming them in the eyes of others. We like to think, I know I do, I like to think that these are obvious sins and I don't get caught up in these because everybody knows they're bad. But I think they're oftentimes a lot more subtle than we realize. So let me just tell you, I'll just be transparent about myself in this. I was at this meeting in Wheaton, there was... Not a large group, but just a kind of a small group of very successful ministry leaders. And it was in the morning before I was going. And I had that moment of like, how am I going to move into this community and spend the day with them, two days with these people? And I anticipated, you know, some of the responses I know that my sinful heart will come up with. You know, will I envy the success of somebody else? You know, Will I falsely represent myself so as to make myself look better in somebody's eyes, right? Will I, um, will I remember a snub that one person maybe uh, gave me earlier on and harbor malice towards that person, right? Um, will, I, will I choose to speak winsomely about others, you know, um, as we're swapping stories to make sure that I'm not slandering anybody 
the word that Peter brings up. And I said, Lord, would you just please fill my heart with love for each person? And isn't this so often where we're at? We are called upon and asked to love beyond what our hearts would naturally tend to do. And that's a thing that we just can't do in our own strength so often. We need God. We need God to break through the malice, the deceit, the hypocrisy, the envy, the slander. If we are going to live into our calling to be living stones together built up in a temple that represents Christ to the world. Well, how do you overcome those? Um, how do you overcome malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander and all the other things that go with that that, that cause problems with community? And verses 2 through 3 give us kind of the secret. Like newborn infants long for the spirit, pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation. If indeed, and here's the thing I want to I clue into, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Have you ever had someone bring you a taste from a really good restaurant? Just a taste. And maybe it was cold by the time you got it. And you tasted it and you said, I got to go there. You ever had that experience? You tasted a little bit of food that somebody had left over from their trip to a really good restaurant. And you said, I got to go there. And Peter is saying that that mechanism of tasting and wanting more is what helps you to break through deceit and malice and slander and all the others. In other words, it's God's way for you to live other than those things. And if your little experience, God, God's way has tasted good to you, then that knowledge will compel you forward to get rid of, to put away those other things. Even though your, your heart wants to hang on to the malice, you'll be able to say, you know what? But I remember the taste of doing it Jesus' way, and on the basis of that remembrance, I am going to pray to let go of this malice so that I can love my neighbor. Because I've tasted just enough to know that God's way is the best way. And I want more of it. Lots of ways that God works to overcome our sin. In this passage, it's allowing that taste to draw you into deeper walk with Christ. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, don't you want more? Don't you want more? I know I do. All right. And these little acts of loving one another through malice and deceit, you know, putting those away and hypocrisy and envy, these become, as Peter says, our spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. These become our spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. All right, I need to go quickly here to the end. The last point is being together is our honor. Look with me at verses six, 
through seven. For it stands in scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. Jesus is the cornerstone. The work of Jesus is the cornerstone of our salvation. Um, Jesus went to the cross to atone for sin. And then he was raised from the dead, which is a statement that in fact, his sacrifice was effective. That's laying out there for you. If you choose by faith to accept Jesus' work on your behalf, then you are a believer. You are one of these living stones. That's how it works. And Peter is saying that that designation as a living stone is your honor. It is your honor to be a living stone. Would you rather be a stone in a broken down building that's falling apart? Or would you rather be a stone? You have a chance by faith to be a stone in the greatest temple, cathedral ever made that is all over the world, the church is, and continues to have impact on the world, is growing in many parts of the world. This beautiful temple, you have the honor of being a part of it. Now, don't expect the world to see it as an honor, going on in the verse, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected, referring to Jesus, has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So don't be surprised that even though, according to Peter, it's a great honor for you to be a part of the church, the world may not see that as being an honor, and you may be ridiculed. But more important than how the world sees you is how God sees you, and this is how God sees you, verse 9. You are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. See, we're not just to hold on to this and like huddle. We're supposed to reach out with it to proclaim the excellencies of all that we've been talking about. That's what God's called us to do, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And the commentators tell us that there's a really interesting dynamic going on in this text, in this place. That Eastern kings in the day that this was written, they would have the 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 room with the official money, the exchequer, right? And all of the gold that the king had and that his government had would be placed in this place. But the king would also have a special room where he would keep his treasured possessions. And these would be his for his own special use. And Peter is saying that you, follower of Jesus are like that treasured possession. And we can talk all day about what we should do and what we ought to do and what's the right thing to do. But you know what? One of the most powerful ways to transform people's behavior is to transform their identity. When they know who they really are, 
in God's eyes, it changes how they live automatically. We don't have, we don't gather kings around and stuff and queens, you know. It's not really something that happens, but maybe the closest thing we have is, you know, when the, when the governments bring like the G7, they have all the different world leaders come together and they all roll up in limos and there's security details everywhere and they're dressed to the nines and you can just see, you know, the power and everything oozing off of this gathering where they are. And what Peter is saying is that every time you roll into this parking lot and park your car and come into this room, it's like a gathering of the G7. You know, these, this royal priesthood, this, this amazing community of people who is so cherished and valued and has such an important ambassadorial role in the world. You are coming together. You are rolling up to, to represent your king. That's who you are. That's who I am. Despite how hard it is for me to believe it sometimes. And how hard it is for you to believe it sometimes. But Peter is saying, what God says about you is more important than the world says about you. And this is what God says. And as we live into that powerful truth, as we grasp our identity, if we receive our identity instead of all the chaos, the chaotic ways in which the world's trying to figure out identity, receive your identity from God. And that will make the difference. So Lord, we come to you today. I don't know if we've convicted anybody of sin. I know that in preparing this message, I was convicted. Um, And so I pray that you would help me to put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander and that you would help all of us to do that hard work so that we could be drawn together more deeply in community and the richness of community. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to grasp the wonder and the mystery and the beauty of our calling, that we are called to be your ambassadors. And then lastly, I pray, Lord, that you would would sear deep into our understanding this sense of identity, that we are a royal priesthood, a, a chosen people, a treasured possession. You, you, you hold us in your most precious room. That's who we are. Whatever circumstances are swirling around us right now, whatever struggles connected to that there might be, whatever the world might say uh, about us, whatever our neighbor or friend or whoever it is, Lord, what's most true about us is not what anybody else says except you. What you say about us is most true. So, Lord, would you minister by your Spirit into our hearts and minds and souls a greater appreciation of this sense of identity and calling and value and worth and purpose that we have in you. And I'm excited to see how just that is going to change who we are, how we live in this world, how we go out into this world, and the impact that we have on so many hurting and broken people around us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.